Hello, everybody. I'm honored to be here today with Martin Hershey, who is the Senior Vice President of Property and Casualty Operations and Client Experience at Lockton Companies, which is an insurance brokerage firm. He's located in Philadelphia. And welcome, Marty. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. And now Marty's a former student of mine at Wharton. But Martin, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? How yeah, you got absolutely. to where you are today? Yeah, so I graduated on, uh, from Temple University with a degree in accounting and risk management. I started my career at a regional insurance brokerage firm. We worked across a broad swath of middle market businesses on all lines of property and casualty insurance. It was a really great opportunity. I learned the fundamentals of the business. I was there for about five years. And at that stage in my career, wanted to get exposure to some things that a regional broker just wouldn't have the scale to build. I spent a couple of years at one of the large publicly traded global firms. And uh, while it was a really great experience, I got to see all those tools and resources that I wanted to see. I didn't really enjoy the bureaucratic culture, wanted to get back into something that was a little more flat, flexible, and entrepreneurial. And where I am now at Lockton has been a good marriage of both. So I've been running the uh, Philadelphia property and casualty team for the last eight years and have recently expanded my view into the operations world and uh, have seen a lot on the commercial insurance side. So I'm more than happy to share some, some thoughts on how uh, businesses should be looking at risk. I know, Marty, a lot of the people who are listening are business owners. And one way that they could mitigate risk is either by transferring the risk to somebody else, or take, uh, which can include insurance. Can you talk a little bit about how a business should evaluate or business owner should evaluate what sort of insurance they should take or, or purchase? Yeah, Bob, that's a great point. So you mentioned the fact that insurance is one tool amongst many. So it all starts with looking at the underlying risks that a business faces. And that really gets into the business's operations. What type of property and other uh, equipment and materials do you own? What type of services do you provide? What type of products do you sell to other third parties? And then essentially, what can happen when things go wrong? As you start to look at that fundamental risk, then it becomes a lot more apparent what insurance is going to be most meaningful to you. The other part that you want to think about is your own risk tolerance. Are you someone who is a risk taker or someone who is relatively risk averse? As you start to think about where you sit in that spectrum, it's going to have a lot of influence over the decisions that you make. And then as you progress through and um, look at your options, being a little bit more conservative might give you the protection you need, but it's going to increase your cost. So you have to think about everything in the context of a world of trade-offs. But now, sometimes you may not have a choice. For example, if you buy a building that you're using for your business and you take out a mortgage on it, the lender's going to require that you have insurance for property or, and casualty uh, claims. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's another great point. So. Um, contracts can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. So if you think about all the different relationships that you set up in a business, um, you can financially transfer risk through insurance, or you can contractually transfer it to an, another third party. And one of the most common contractual obligations ties into 
uh, any lender requirements that a business is going to face. So in that instance, the contractual risk transfer is being imposed upon you as the business owner. And there will be minimum requirements in loan covenants, in uh, landlord uh, um, contracts, so through your leases. But then on the other side, you might be able to transfer risk to, to other third parties, um, such as vendors and other suppliers, if they are really responsible for controlling the underlying risk. So you can use a contract to your advantage, um, or a contract might impose some requirements where you need to start buying insurance that you wouldn't be purchasing otherwise. So the lender's gonna wanna ascertain that if something happens to the property, they're gonna be indemnified for any losses. The landlord wants the tenants to cover any losses. Are those some examples? Correct. So um, with the lender, they're often going to require property coverage. They're going to ask to be named as a mortgagee on that property policy, which allows the uh, lender to get paid in the event of a loss uh, to be made whole for the loan if you don't rebuild the property. Um, and then there will often be some uh, liability requirements as well, uh, because if you as the business don't have the money to pay for claims, then it puts the lender in, in a precarious position um, if you run into any financial issues. But when you transfer risk to somebody else, the person who's assumed or the entity that's assuming the risk, it's only as good as that entity. If the entity doesn't have the assets to indemnify you for this, it's really not worth the paper it's printed on. That's correct. So in any well-structured contract, you're going to see a combination of indemnification requirements and insurance requirements. So the indemnification is there to contractually transfer who's responsible for the risk. And then the insurance requirements should make sure that there's someone there to pay for it. Because like you said, if the other party to the contract goes belly up, the insurance company is going to be there to, to make you whole. Right. And by belly up, you mean bankrupt or doesn't have the funds to honor their commitment. Correct. All right. So now a small business owner, what type of insurance should they be looking to purchase and maintain while they own the property or while they own the business? So that's going to get back to one of the things that I started off with in that a business's needs will change depending on what the business does. So there's two broad categories of types of insurance. The first is your first party coverages. These are the policies that are designed to protect you and your assets. So the easiest example of that is a property policy. You own a building, equipment, materials. Um, you have your business income that, that you're, you know, your profits that you're making from the work that you perform. And that first party property coverage protects you and those assets. And then you have the third party liability coverages. And these policies are designed to protect uh, you for claims made against you for wronging another third party. So these are things like your general liability, your auto liability, um, or your, your workers' compensation. And the, the coverages that I just mentioned are the core policies that any business is going to need in to some level of degree. So just to restate them, it's property, general liability, 
automobile, workers' compensation, and then often uh, businesses will buy umbrella or excess liability to extend the limits of their third-party liability coverages. And the reason you start to see these excess policies is that on a, the first party side of coverage, your exposure to loss is very well defined because it's capped at the value of your assets. If you look at it on the other side, on the liability, that you don't know what your exposure is going to be until you're named in a lawsuit and you think about the underlying harm that uh, someone is alleging against you. So those numbers can get really big, really fast, depending on the nature of the original injury. Okay, so property insurance is that you own a property, you own inventory, you have vehicles, they get lost, they get stolen, they get damaged, you want insurance to reimburse you for that. Casualty is that someone gets hurt as a result of it, but what you're saying is maybe they take one of your products and it causes harm to them, and the amount of that damage is well in excess of what they paid you for the item that they purchased. Correct. Um, so you'd mentioned property protecting uh, for things like buildings. The one point of clarification, you mentioned vehicles and the physical damage to vehicles is usually covered on the, under the automobile policy. The one exception to that is um, there are businesses that are you know, storing vehicles and things of that nature. So the, the vehicles are not actively out on the road. And if they're stored inside of a building, they can often be covered under the building coverage instead of the auto policy. All right. And I guess the same thing would apply if you have employees that are traveling for business and they uh, lose property or they um, get hurt or they have some sort of casualty. You want insurance to cover that as well. Yeah, so there's a few different types of coverages you can buy for a, an employee that's traveling. Um, one is getting some extensions to your property policy to cover their personal effects. The other is, depending on where they're traveling, you might look to get different policies to supplement it. So if you have someone traveling outside of the U.S., assuming you're a U.S.-based business, then you're going to need to consider an international package policy because your U.S. policies typically would not respond to losses that occur outside of the U.S. And those policies also have the ability to build in coverage for the personal effects, but also something that's called foreign voluntary workers' compensation, which would protect you for injuries to that worker outside of the U.S. Right now, earlier you mentioned umbrella policies which is more like an excess policy, and you use that term as well. But an umbrella policy, I guess you have to be specific when you purchased a policy that it covers you for business acts as well as just personal acts. Sure. So there's uh, two important things to think about with what you just described. So there are a lot of business owners that have a high net worth in their personal endeavors and they have a personal um, umbrella policy. But personal policies almost always have some sort of a business pursuits exclusion. So you can't rely on your personal insurance to provide coverage for your business actions unless you've disclosed everything to your insurance company and they've expressly provided that coverage. So then uh, you have to buy a separate suite of coverages for your business pursuits 
And oftentimes, one of those policies would be an umbrella policy. There are some similarities to a personal umbrella in that it provides additional catastrophic protection, but the losses that are insured are tailored to the primary policies that the business purchases. So you've got your general liability that covers bodily injury and property damage to third parties. You have your auto liability, which covers you for, for vehicle-related accidents and the bodily injury and property damage that ensues. And then you have your employer's liability section of the workers' compensation, which protects you for losses that fall outside of the workers' comp protections to employees. And the umbrella policy can extend those limits to, again, give you the catastrophic protection that you would not get under the primary policies. Now, a lot of business owners, they purchase insurance. And one item that I think I'd, I'd like you to talk about is deductibles, because it may pay if they take a higher deductible, which would lower their premium. So they're effectively self-insuring the small losses, but having coverage for the higher losses. Can you give us your thoughts on that? Deductibles are a great strategy to control costs. And there's a few different things to think about when you determine what deductibles are going to be palatable for the business. The first question is, if you were to suffer a loss and had to pay that deductible, would you be able to support that through the cash flow of your business? Or would it be too high and uh, put you in a position where you might need to seek outside funding. Um, so if you have the ability to retain the loss, it's a very good strategy. And typically, the higher the deductible, the more of a premium offset. But that tends to level out at a certain point. So oftentimes, if you're looking at deductibles, it's good to get a few different options within a range that would be acceptable for you. So you could find the right balance point uh, on whether to retain or to transfer that risk. The next thing to think about is frequency uh, of losses. Um, it might be a little bit counterintuitive for some folks, but the more frequent a loss is expected to be, the more advantageous it is for you to retain that loss. So if you know you're going to have a lot of $500 to $1,000 losses within your business, it's going to be more cost effective for you to retain those small losses than it would be to transfer it to an insurance company because the insurance company's pricing models all are based off of loss ratio. So as you increase the loss ratio, the profit load that the carrier needs to accept that risk inflates your cost um, because you're paying for the expenses and the profit margin of the insurance company for those losses that you're transferring. And then the last thing to think about. Can we just take is, one step back? You use the term loss ratio. Could you describe what that means? A loss ratio is the amount of loss that the insurance policy pays for compared to the amount of premium collected. So if you have uh, 50 cents in losses for every dollar of premium, it would be a 50% loss ratio. So the... Insurance companies, depending on the line of coverage, tend to lose profitability somewhere between a 60 to 70% loss ratio because that loss ratio doesn't account for the expenses associated with operating the insurance company. Um, 
a lot of underwriters will target somewhere closer to a 40, 40 or 50% loss ratio as their goal. Um, but again, at that 60 to 70% loss ratio is when they start losing money. So it's not, well, 90, I guess 90% would include um, expenses as well. Correct. Um, so uh, the uh, commercial insurance market right now is operating somewhere close to a 100% combined ratio. And the last few years, it's either been a little bit above or a little bit below. And the combined ratio is the combination of losses plus expenses compared to premium. So that means oh. that the insurance carriers are operating relatively close to break even from an underwriting per per performance metric, but they're able to still be profitable because they're earning investment income. And they have money on the float where they take premiums in and don't have to pay the losses out for months, week or months or years. Correct. So if you look at a property policy, by the end of the policy year, you know whether or not you had a loss, um, but the insurance company still will have some amount of time to pay out that loss. So they'll be earning some investment income on that float. If you look at a liability policy, oftentimes you won't even know that you had a loss for two or three years um, because the third party will ride out the statute of limitations and sue you as they get closer to the end of that statute. So the insurance company is often holding on to money for somewhere in the three to seven year time frame, depending on the line of coverage. And there's a lot of investment income that they can earn on holding that premium. So the longer tail coverages, meaning the longer time between when you pay the premium and the insurance carrier has to pay the losses, the more likelihood that they're going to gain investment income. And we're starting to see that really impact where insurance carriers are focusing their capital right now. Um, you're seeing large increases to property coverage and the premium associated with it because of one, increasing catastrophic exposures due to a lot of environmental factors. And two, the fact that there's been a lot of inflation and it costs more to rebuild buildings. So the insurance carriers are paying a lot more losses but they're also not earning investment income on a lot of that money. But on the liability side, since interest rates have increased, the insurance carriers are in relatively secure investments. Um, so they have seen a dramatic increase in the amount of investment income that they're making. So they're getting a lot more aggressive in the pricing of general liability and workers' compensation, which are two of the longest tail lines of business out there. And it's really so that they can make more money on the investments. Now, there's two other insurances that I'd like to just, if you could just touch on briefly, cyber insurance and employee practices liability insurance. So cyber insurance is a combination of first party and third party coverages. So the first party coverages are things like the expenses you incur if you have a cyber breach. So someone hacks into your system um, and either uh, freezes your network or steals your data. There's a lot of expenses to um, engage with forensic IT consultants and various other third parties to assess the loss and determine what actually happened. There might be some ransoms to, to pay in a ransomware attack. Um, 
and, and other first party expenses like the business income that you lost due to your network being down. And then there's the third party liability coverages. So um, if you lose someone's data, then they have a claim against you. So if there's any sort of a lawsuit related to that, as well as the cost to notify third parties. So the, the cyber coverage is really important for any business that's operating in the digital space. Um, but almost any business is going to have some level of a, of a cyber exposure because you really can't run a business without having um, you know, some extensive computer operations behind the scenes. And what about EPLI, Employment Practices Liability Insurance? Employment Practices Liability Insurance is there to protect a business for claims arising out of the employment relationship. So these are things like wrongful termination, wrongful termination, uh, harassment, hostile work environment. And these claims can get to be relatively large when, especially for a small business. So um, the EPL coverage provides defense as well as um, will uh, essentially protect you for the liability that the employee is claiming. So if they say that they were terminated or discriminated against um, and they sue you, that coverage is there to protect you. There are a couple of things that are not covered under an EPL policy, um, and they're things like back pay or wage and hour disputes. So if you have an employee that's alleging improper allocation of overtime wages, as an example, that's something that wouldn't be covered under the EPL policy. All right. So I, you've been very gracious with your time so far, and I don't, just want to see, so you have a small business. How do you determine if you have the right amount of insurance and the right type of insurance? Do you ask your agent to come to the business? Do you talk to the agent? What's the best way of letting the agent know your needs so that, or know about your business so they can determine what your needs are in, in terms of insurance? So in any sort of a relationship where um, you have a more complex product that you're going to be purchasing, educating yourself on uh, the needs of similar businesses is always a helpful place to start. So if you have any sort of business associations or other peer networks, it would be beneficial to reach out. And while a lot of folks are not going to be excited to talk about some trade secrets and other aspects of their business, they're usually pretty open to share insurance and they probably have a few war stories about things that have gone wrong in their business that they'd be more than happy to talk about. Um, but when you look at your personal business, um, the first thing you should do is really assess your underlying exposures. And when I say exposures, I mean, be very clear about the types and amounts of property that you carry. That's both real property and personal property. And the other assets that the business has, like the vehicles and equipment, and then the payroll, the revenue, um, any other financial metrics that you can track, make sure you share as much of that with your agent as possible. And then ask them not only for their opinion on what you should be purchasing, but if they have any other analytics that they can provide that would help aid you in your decision-making process. 
oftentimes there's peer benchmarking data and depending on the size and complexity of your business, there might be some other financial modeling tools that your agent or broker can use to help you come to a firm decision. The last piece of analytical data that's nice to request are um, information on large losses for other businesses that are in the same industry as you. Um, getting some of that claim benchmarking data can help you understand from a real world perspective what's happened to other businesses and whether or not you think something similar could happen to you. Right. And then obviously, I guess you also want some sort of business interruption insurance that if something happens where you can't operate, they would replace the income or at least cover your expenses. Correct. So there's two main places to find business interruption coverage these days. One is under your property policy, and that ties into losses that would normally be covered under the property policy that also lead to an interruption to your business. So when I say a loss that would normally be covered under your property policy, I mean things like a fire, a windstorm, or a flood that interrupt your physical locations. And then the other place where you can find some business interruption coverage is under your cyber program. So if there's an interruption to your network, you're able to get coverage for the downtime of the business through that interruption. Now, for example, if I have getting um, employment practices liability insurance, I'd want the agent to see a copy of my employee manual. Correct. And, and there should also be an extensive application process with the employment practices liability insurance. Um, so make sure you, you're as thorough as you can be in, in answering those questions. And I always ask the agent to come to the business and look around because they may come up with things that I overlooked or they could come up with some ideas to mitigate my potential losses. So that's, a, that's always a great idea. And um, it just depends on the nature of the business. And those site visits are much more important for any business that has a lot of physical assets or boots on the ground operations. So uh, a manufacturing facility, uh, a restaurant, those businesses need the physical structure and there's a lot of people there doing things to, to support the business. On the complete other side, if you have you know, an online retail business where it's more drop shipping and you're not really touching a lot of physical goods, then instead of having someone visit the business, you should have them review your website. And um, there's a lot of tools out there to essentially ping the network and look for vulnerabilities. So um, I'm a big believer in having a very open relationship between the buyer, so the underlying business owner, and the agent or broker. And the, the spirit should be, making sure they get eyes on all of the um, aspects of the business that could give rise to loss. So it could be the physical location, it could be the physical operations, or it could be your online presence that they're looking into. Okay. Well, Marty, you've been extremely gracious with your time and more importantly, very helpful. Are there any final thoughts that you have about this? As any business starts to think about the insurance that they're purchasing, um, there are going to be a lot of questions that come up and 
a good agent or broker is going to expect the business to have a lot of questions. So don't just take what you're getting at face value. Look at it with a critical eye, ask a lot of questions, and make sure that you feel comfortable that the information coming back to you is complete and that you're getting a solid understanding of what you're purchasing. An agent or broker will give you advice, but it's ultimately your responsibility to make sure that you're protected correctly. So um, just make sure that you know what you're buying and that you're comfortable with it in the end. All right. Well, Morty, um, I really appreciate your help and your advice. And um, you gave us a lot of valuable tips that business owners should consider when they purchase insurance. I'm a big believer that they should speak to more than one agent when they're looking for insurance just to see what the prices are and what types of coverage they need because you may get different thoughts from different people. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that before we um, conclude. So shopping to find the right coverage, I do think makes sense. Who you shop with will depend upon the size of the business and the type of relationship that you have with your agent or broker. In some situations, dealing with an independent agent that has access to multiple insurance companies that can get you multiple quotes might be a better option than shopping with multiple agents that are only approaching one or two markets. Um, but in either situation, um, building competitive tension is an important strategy to make sure that your costs are controlled. All right. Well, Marty, thank you very much for your help and your time and your expertise. And um, just thank you very much. Oh, you're quite welcome, Bob. Hello, this is Bob Chalfin. The second edition of my book, A Practical Guide to Buying a Business, is now available. This book, along with my book, A Practical Guide to Selling a Business, can be purchased on Amazon. All proceeds received from the sale of my books are donated to nonprofit organizations.